Dagon's Illusion, Episode 15, Serpent Tree. Dr. Jack Carson's lay face up on a massage table. He wasn't young anymore. In him were none of the sleek, ageless good looks possessed by his long-dead mentor, Alton France. His stringy hair was dyed black now, too black for his age, and age was in his eyes. They were sunken and bloodshot, in a face grown leathery from too many tanning beds. But his body was still lean. He prided himself in that, and the fact that he had never resorted to plastic surgery. What was the point of it? When you were rich, it didn't matter how you looked. You could get any woman you wanted. The evidence for that was the female standing next to him. She was exquisite, luscious, gifted with perfect genes that had endowed her with the face and body of a goddess complete with thick blonde hair. They had met at one of the hospitals that he owned. She was a nurse. Though she had been married to someone else, it had been easy to seduce her. All he had to do was convince her that her secret passion for money and love for herself were the same as love for him. But love didn't matter. Ownership was what mattered. That and obedience. So a diamond necklace here, a Porsche there, a few trips abroad in his private jet, and an occasional line of white powder to enhance her ecstasy, and she was his, bought and branded like an expensive cow. How wonderful it was that the female brain, no matter how intelligent, could be so easily enslaved. Silently they looked at each other. Silently they listened to the thunder and the screaming wind. Finally Carson smiled and nodded. I'm ready, Amelia. Never had he felt such peace and yet such exhilaration. This was the most wonderful day of his life, and he had enjoyed many wonderful days. The young woman inserted a needle into a vein in his arm. Slowly she pressed the plunger. Smoothly the liquid entered his body. At first, nothing. But he knew the path. Suddenly his heart lurched and his belly twisted. Through gritted teeth he groaned, Oh, God! Closing his eyes he saw the deepening, and out of it they came. Patterns streaking toward him, complex, rushing, color within color. But he knew they were far more than patterns and colors. They were infinite masses of chronons, particles of time, the dissipative organization that bridged realities. But not self-organization, as some fools believed. No, in this infinite chaos there was design. Intensity increasing. His heart was beating faster now, gasping for air. The patterns grew into an avalanche of spirals, screaming behind his eyelids. The present, the past, the future, molding, melting. And in that rushing roar, he was a cipher, a vile little speck, sucked into the overwhelming awareness of the time wave. For the time wave was a living being. Chaos God, roaring over him, roaring into him, sucking his naked soul. It was here that shallow spirits froze. Bloodied, they staggered back to their vacuous shreds of illusion, the fraying rags that they called reality. But Carson's was not one of them. Even in the gibbering insanity of the time-wave rape, he knew what must be done. He flew toward the abyss that was the end of all being. He leaped into the negation, letting the roaring presence tear his soul to pieces to make of him a blood-drenched sacrifice to the black sun. Bleed and die. 
than await the dark resurrection. Slowly it came as he knew it would. Horror gone, the first veil pierced. Out of the darkness came soft, twisting patterns, serpent rainbows, a slow blizzard of cobras, pythons, and vipers, gigantic, tiny, hundreds, thousands, around, in, out, up, down, weaving their bodies in the double helix of time-matter, weaving in ever-tightening strands, drawing all existence toward the inexorable singularity. And then he heard it, not with his ears, with his loins. It spilled from the chakra between his legs, scintillating, sensuous, throbbing in his flesh, the wrenching, writhing serpent song. The serpents of the time wave were singing, Awake, awake, open your eyes to joy unspeakable. The second veil pierced. He was in the garden, lying naked in the soft grass, like the ancient ancestor before the evil befell him, staring up at the golden light that drifted in the trees. For a time he lay without moving, basking in his own ephemerality. Gone was the inexorable weight of flesh, the vile bag of blood and meat that imprisoned his soul. One now, one with all things, one with the grass, the leaves, the flowers. One with the little serpents that spun and sang in the air, serpents the way they were at the foundation, not groveling in the dust, winged creatures feathered with rainbows that sang like angels, for angels they were. And when they saw that he had awakened, they flew around him in a great mass, swirling out their joy. Eden, this was the real Eden not the cursed myth of the damnable book filled with the lies of the enslaving one the petty deity with his niggling laws and ranting retributions this was the garden of eternal wisdom the forest of endless delight where every eye was opened and all were gods slowly carson's rose nearby was a shimmering pool on previous journeys he had sat beside it, drinking deep, glorying in the lust of his own reflection. For here he was not a man of fifty-seven years old with blotched skin and bloodshot eyes. Here he was male-female, complete in himself with no need for another. Here he could let the golden serpents pleasure him as they slithered across his skin. In this garden he was a god with all knowledge of good and evil. One teardrop from his eyes would quench the thirst of dying worlds. A single touch of his hand would bestow the enlightenment of ten thousand incarnations. But not today the pleasure of the pool. Today was the greatest day of his life, for he had been called to the heart of glory. Breathing deep, Carson's began to walk. Every flower, every leaf, flowed with color as each moment the forest painted itself in new splendors. Soon he began passing the shrines of the immortal ones, alabaster temples fragrant with the smoke of incense. In the heart of each stood the living statue of a god or goddess, receptacle for a great spirit that served their mighty lord. Though the temples of the gods had been desecrated on earth, here they lived forever. As he passed each shrine, Carson stopped, placed his hands together, and bowed. And wonder of all wonders, the spirits within returned his obeisance, for this was his day. Oh, to bring the glory of the gods back to earth, to restore that which had been stolen, it was the insatiable hunger of his heart. 
But before it could be realized, the curse must be eradicated. The lying hallucination that enslaved. The world must be freed forever, cleansed from the bloody darkness of the one who could not be named. When that blight was gone, the silver rains of Eden would wash the earth with the wisdom from before time. Once more the skies would fill with the fiery wonder that spanned the stars. All would bow before the splendor of the celestial serpent. But before that incarnation, the spiral of the time wave must tighten like a great screw, twisting out the ultimate singularity. And the chasm between the epochs would be filled with blood. How far he walked he did not know, for time and distance had no meaning here. Perhaps it was a thousand miles and years without number, but with every step the singing grew, voices upon voices, building to a great crescendo. Finally it came. In a place where there were no shrines, the trees parted, and before him lay a vision of terrifying magnificence. Weeping uncontrollably, Carson's fell to his knees. He was at the edge of a vast plain that flashed with white fire, as though every diamond in the universe had fallen and covered the ground. But the fire didn't come from diamonds. The plain was covered with living serpents, and the fire flashed from their scales like an ocean of tiny suns. Far away in the center of this glory towered the source of insatiable longing. A single tree so tall that it soared beyond the mists of time, Around it swirled blazing majesty, for it was infinitely more than a tree. Its leaves and branches and limbs were the feathers and flesh and bones of a single ten-thousand-headed serpent. In an endless dance they wove the double helix of the time-wave lord. Carson's fell on his face, shrieking, too much even for a god to bear. He groveled, desperate to eviscerate himself in sacred obliteration. But at the height of his obeisance he heard the whisper, Come. Instantly he was lifted and carried on the backs of a vast serpent wave. And as he rode he saw that beneath their bodies rippled a crimson ocean. They were swimming in the blood of every sacrifice that had ever been slain, from babies thrown on the burning arms of Moloch, to young warriors and maidens with their hearts cut out and lifted to the sun, from children drugged and strangled, to the aged drowned in bogs, from bodies torn by grand inquisitors, to glutted ovens that reeked with human flesh. And out of this ocean came an endless wail, worthy, Worthy to be scorched and butchered, worthy all the blood of endless ages, for the greatness of the ten-thousand-headed one. Then the journey was over, shimmering splendor of hell and heaven. He was beneath the searing presence of the serpent tree, strangled, pierced, the last drop of individuality siphoned from the marrow of his soul, subsumed into the sucking, singing terror of the time-wave lord. And above him hung the fruit of endless ages, the all-consuming ecstasy for love of which humanity had died. As Carson's knelt beneath it convulsed in sacred seizures, from the ten thousand intertwining heads came a slithering sigh. Take, eat, for this is my body gorged with your blood. Reaching up, he plucked it, brought it to his lips and tore its flesh. Exaltation in the fruit was the wisdom of death eternal. He staggered, raving, drunk, delirious, sated in the dripping dow of the crimson way. 
Through the ice-cold eyes of the celestial serpent, he grasped the gnosis, he parsed the chronons, he traced the sacred path of the soul's sati. The blood of every incarnate being must be spilled down the throat sluice of anguish to the nirvana of assimilation. And then would come the great engorgement, all flesh destroyed, spirits liberated from the weight of personality to be suspended forever in holy stasis, atomized in the oneness of the time-wave lord. But suddenly, a crash. At the height of his besotted illumination, everything went dark. Carson's felt himself drawn down through endless fathoms of heavy moistness. Finally, his feet came to rest on some kind of surface, but still he couldn't see. Beneath him, the ground slowly rolled and oozed. Though he wasn't in his body, the atmosphere was so oppressive that he found it almost impossible to breathe. In great whooping gasps, he sucked in rancid air. There was a roar of thunder and a lightning streak. His vision returned. He was standing in an iron-gray world without the slightest trace of color. Before him lay a vast, gelatinous plain, covered with thousands of black shapes that stood in long, straight rows. Some were colossal monoliths that soared into the sky. Others were heaps of slag that lay like broken, humped carcasses. Carson's was confused. More than confused, terrified. What had happened? From exaltation to this? Why had he been brought to this hellish place? Was it a test? Had the time-wave lord brought him here to try his soul? To whom much was given, more was required. He accepted that. But what was expected of him? He prayed for guidance, but not a whisper came. Trembling, he attempted to walk, but his feet slewed. He looked down. He was standing in sucking muck. Slowly he skidded and flopped toward the nearest monolith, an obsidian tower that rose hundreds of feet in the air. Warily he touched it and pulled back, burning hot. And it was covered with carvings, bold arcs and crooks and slashes that looked like some kind of script, but the letters were incomprehensible. Struggling through the heaving goo, Carson's crossed to one of the slag mounds. Touching it, he almost burned his fingers. What was this place, a graveyard for monsters in hell? Then in the distance he saw something, a tiny flicker, a pinpoint of light. It vanished and reappeared, this time a little larger. It was moving, flashing back and forth. As Carson's watched, slowly it grew until it looked like a column of fire zigzagging across the ground. He felt hope. He had prayed for guidance. Perhaps this was it. But as the moments passed, he began to feel uneasy. Something was wrong. The longer he watched, the more he couldn't escape the overwhelming sense that in this fire there was danger. Yet staring at it was mesmerizing, burning color in a world of gray. He shook himself. What was he doing? He had to hide. Struggling through the slime, he crouched behind a monolith. The thing was moving at incredible speed. One moment it was five hundred yards away, the next half that distance, and the manner in which it moved, reeling, yawing, staggering as though in a titanic struggle, his gut wrenched, radiating from it was inexorable purpose. And behind that purpose there was hate. Closer, clearer, what was it that the fire hated? 
It hated him. His fear became terror. Carsons tried to run, but he couldn't move. His feet had sunk into the muck up to his ankles. Desperately, he struggled to pull free, but it did no good. He looked up and screamed. The wallowing flames were almost on him, and for the first time within them he saw a distorted shape. A furious human silhouette with blazing hands was reaching for him. He tried to fight it, but his flesh bubbled and scorched. Then burning fingers grasped his long black hair. He shrieked. The awful vision ended and Carson's eyes flew open. He was lying on the massage table looking up at the ceiling. Amelia was still next to him holding the syringe as though she had just finished the injection. But what was this? He couldn't move, couldn't speak. In a cold horror, he discovered that he was paralyzed. All he could do was stare at Amelia, trying desperately to get her attention with his eyes, but she wouldn't turn toward him. She just kept looking off into the distance as though in a trance. The vision had been a warning. He knew it. Something terrible was about to happen, and he had to get ready. In his mind, he shrieked curses at her, but not a sound came from his mouth. All he could do was tremble and sweat. And then he felt it. The fire thing was alive in this world, and it was coming.